um, always a bit, little bit nervous. I think it it does deserve respect, and it was there was um, a bit of swell. So definitely, I was feeling a little bit nervous. Didn't know you two, so I didn't know who I was getting in the water with. I like jumping in the water with two people you haven't dived with before. Obviously, I filled you with confidence fairly early, though. <laughs> Welcome to the Noob Spiro podcast, another special podcast today in New Zealand, part three of three of my Kiwi adventure. I'm your host, Isaac, aka Shrek, and the Noob Spiro podcast is all about spearfishing. Uh, Adventures, tips, and stories from Spiros from all over the planet. And today's episode is a pub chat. It's a debrief from the trip that I did in early March 2020. Care of patron listeners just like you who support the News Fair podcast on an episode-by-episode basis. Super grateful to get over there. And this episode is kind of a, an homage to the whole trip. It was a, it was a good debrief uh, with Rosie uh, Sharman, who was along for the trip, James Beckman, who came over and joined me from Melbourne. And we met up with Blair Herbert in his hometown there and uh, slayed a few beers and definitely engaged in way too much banter. But uh, it's a good little yarn, and we get a little bit of Rosie's story and uh, some of the sort of the things she's learned along the way in her spearfishing journey. It's pretty cool. So, um, yeah, awesome. Part three of three of the New Zealand adventure and uh, just covering off the end of the Three Kings trip, which is, you know, like we talk about, it's like the Jurassic Park for spearfishing. I labelled it like the the islands above the water and below the water are absolutely sensational and so is the life. Before that, just want to get quickly into some shout-outs. I've uh, got a huge review here from Ash Dog. He says, keeping it real first. Thanks, Trick and Turbo, for creating this casual yet highly informative podcast and platform that that I follow. I'm a Kiwi living in New South Wales, Australia, and resonate well with the back-and-forth banter. I'm constantly laughing aloud while listening to the light-hearted dicks you guys have at each other while somehow managing to mostly stay on track and deliver the direct and insightful content. Uh, content. So thanks to that, uh, Ash, uh, really cool review, man. It, it goes on, and uh, I, I, really, uh, I really dug that one. It was cool. Spearfishing clubs. If you do not have a spearfishing club, go to noobspero.com. Up in the About menu, there's a spearfishing club connections page. You can search in your country and find a spearfishing club for you. If your club is not listed or your area is not there, Please fill in the contact form down the bottom, fill me in and I will find something and we'll try and connect you because it's uh, really good for in those early days of spearfishing and finding a good club. Also, noobspiro.com forward slash madgear. got three brand new shirts. If you want to support the show, one of the great ways to do it is to buy a cool shirt. There's three cool designs there. There's Girls with Gills, Spiro Dad and a Jobfish Tribute t-shirt only on the noobspiro.com forward slash madgear. Check it out. Hey, let's get into this interview final the final part of my new zealand adventure these three episodes have come out on top of the regular podcast schedule and it's all thanks to patron listeners just like you let's hook in this special episode of the noob Sparrow podcast is brought to you by spearfishing.com.au long-time partners of the noob Sparrow podcast spearfishing.com.au have a listener deal Use the code NoobSparrow to save $20 on every purchase over $200. Thanks for supporting the NoobSparrow podcast and shopping with spearfishing.com.au. This episode of the NoobSparrow podcast is brought to you by Audible. 
Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at noobspira.com forward slash audible. There's over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle or MP3 player. Who uses those? Anyway, noobspira.com forward slash audible. Welcome to the Noob Spiro podcast. This is your guest host, Rosie, and also... James from Southern Spearfishing. And I'm Blair. <laughs> I love your page. Catch what you kill. Eat what you kill. Sorry. We need to take two on that one. That's perfect. That's an excellent introduction. What are we chatting about today, Rosie? Well, we have just come back from an awesome trip up north to the Three Kings. We spent a few nights away on the boat and... Um, was it awesome because I was there? <clears throat> it was awesome and you were there. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. That's a rough caveat. <laughs> I'll take it. Um, yeah, I wanted to know what you guys thought about it. Did it meet your expectations? Um, above and beyond. It was frigging awesome. Everything was good. Like I, I thought the spearfishing was going to be good and I, I knew Nat and I vaguely knew Rochelle... Um, so that was kind of a known commodity, but we had an awesome crew. Um, it was a delight spearing with you and um, getting school. Um, and man, the fish was the fishing was awesome. The food was sensational. The company was good. The weather was good, and um, and the boat was awesome too. Like sleeping out on a boat for three days. Um, yeah, couldn't ask for more. It was amazing. Yeah, choice, bro. James? Oh. Choice, bro. Seek <laughs> Oh, yeah, bro. Oh, send it. Send it. <laughs> no, it was absolutely amazing. Like, exceeded expectations. You get told about the Three Kings, and it's uh, an amazing place to hear about. Jurassic Park, as we say, but it just, it's beyond that. It's Jurassic Park is spearfishing. Big fish, big monsters, lots of fish. And the islands themselves. Yeah, just full moody. It was great. So, yeah, we were out there. There was actually seven of us on board. Yeah, yeah, we had the two dogs as well, yeah. Good, good. Yeah. I don't think about that. Well, three dogs, including the Australian. (laughs) Three Australians. Aussie dog. (laughs) Now, the two dogs were awesome, eh? Yeah, good value. Quite scared about mum and dad going in the water, so it was was a bit of effort to keep them from jumping over after them. But we... um, we managed and and on a 60 foot boat the dogs had plenty of room to move and um that that back the rear deck on the boat with the couch set up was really cool at night time and that for having a yarn and a few brews some good food so maybe explain what we type of boat we were on and what the setup was so it was a 60 foot westerner um with a big diesel inboard in it and um like we didn't go anywhere at a great rate of knots but it's really comfortable travelling, like big cabin berth up front with four be- four bunk beds. Um, then there's another one or two up top in the in the wheelhouse, um, and then there's another one down in the galley sort of kitchen area or two. And um, so I think the boat could probably sleep at probably eight people, if, or and more out on the deck if you had uh, mattresses and stuff. But plenty of room. Like with five of us, it was like it was really roomy. It was it felt better than um, some of the places I've lived, to be honest. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and apart from um, obviously Rosie with the with the shower issue, it was pretty pretty comfortable. 
Pretty good. So the boat's the Florence Nightingale 4, which is a working cray boat, and uh, they decommissioned it for the trip just so we could um, recreationally fish off it. Mm. And, yeah, it's pretty comfortable to be on such a big boat in crossing heavy seas and getting out there and pretty good time. You're getting access to, like, get go out on a boat like that is something pretty special, like something people pay thousands of dollars to have the privilege to do so it was really awesome to do that and um, we pretty much did that on a Nat and Rochelle Davies Goodwill and um, the male and female world record holder for Yellowtail Kingfish we were pretty spoiled um, you know and then Rosie come along as well um, we were spoiled for company like I said the food was excellent we had um, we had seafood every day and I've never eaten so much seafood and still had an appetite for it you know what I mean like normally you get sick of it but I felt like I could continue eating at the same volume and pace which is pretty impressive considering how much I put away <laughs> considering how much volume and pace you eat yeah exactly exactly yeah, it's definitely pretty special being able to go up with people who know so much about the Kings and have done the work and put in the time to get to know the places to go and the right spots and that kind of setup um, you feel really safe and it's a really um, really conducive to progressing your spearfishing when you've got that kind of company and mm -hmm. that kind of um, trust in the people that you're there with. Mm. Yeah, you've been spearfishing like three or four years or something, but yeah. I swear you're better than 80 or 90% of the people I go spearing with, including <laughs> myself. Um, like you, you, you were, oh, even on the first day, you were holding really good bottom time, snooping. Um, you seem to know a lot of the techniques for the area to use. Um, how, how do you describe that? Just having incredible mentors and good opportunities or? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, meeting, like being really lucky to meet some people that are happy to um, put in the time to help teach you. Blair's another one who you get in the water with Blair and he'll fizz on just teaching other people things. And I think it's that um, when you meet people that have really got a genuine love for the water and for spearfishing and being in the ocean, then they are really generous with their knowledge and really happy to share that with you. Is that um, Dwayne's cousin, Blair Herbert, the famous, um, <laughs> that group, the Eat, Catch What You Kill group? Ca kill What You Catch? Blair Herbert. Kill What You Catch. What? what um, <laughs> Eat Blair, What You Kill? Um, so Rosie's talked you up here. Um, what kind of lessons did you impart to her as a, as a mentor in the sport? Well, she still shoots a wee bit too high. It's <laughs> <laughs> a true story. Um, never really taught her anything, just sort of took her out on the boat and pointed fish to her and she sort of joined the dots and no way she went. Now that's not really fair, I think they um, particularly your knowledge of tropical fish and of how fish behave and how to hunt them is huge and you definitely have shared that. Speechless Blair, <laughs> I've never seen this side of you. I don't know a lot, but I, <laughs> but I tell her everything I know, <laughs> or four sentences of it. <laughs> So um, the first day that we headed up to the Three Kings, we stopped on the way up for a dive and um, it was pretty late on in the day and it was pretty rough and there was a lot of um, sand kicking up on the bottom. What did you think about that dive? The very first dive we did on the Cape, on the, like before we left the mainland. Yeah. Um, I love it. I love that sort of diving, to be honest. Um, but I just hadn't been in the water since early January. And you know what it's like. It's like... You're like, oh, I love this feeling, but I'm just not competent at it because I haven't done it for so long. So I was just letting it warm those muscles back up and get into it. And um, we didn't have a lot of opportunities for, for good fish, but I did have a few. I saw some good snapper. 
and I just buggered them up. I just made noise, like silly little things like knife banging, gun banging on weight belt. You solved the knife banging problem, didn't you? I lost the knife, yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. <laughs> I didn't lose it till day three. It probably would have done me a favour. It would have done me a favour on day one. But um, no, I brained a Trevally and I mustn't have sheathed it properly and clicked it in. And so it's just floated off into 40 or something odd metres. Um, which is which is a shame, but that's spearfishing. No, I don't. No, I don't even think I was capable of doing that on day three. To, I'll be real honest, without a gun or anything. Um, but yeah, day one. Um, so it was it was dark and it was quite dirty, and there was a bit of current and like you say, sand throwing up. There was a bit of swell hitting the point, um, but it was real cool. Just yeah. the three of us in the water, we sort of worked roughly together, uh, but we were working the shallows mostly. There was nothing real deep or hectic there. And there was a few good fish around, uh, mm. but just wasn't onto it enough to get it. But um, it was cool to have a snoop around and have a look around and get, get, get in the water and get going. So, yeah. Yeah. On that, um, that first dive that we did when we dived up the coast, it was coming onto sunset and we got the torch out and we were looking for craze. And I was thinking to myself, there's heaps of jellyfish and this is the place that great whites like to breed. And here I am with an Australian and a guy who's been living in Australia for quite a while. And I wonder if they're just wishing they could get out of the water, but they can't before me. <laughs> oh, look, it was definitely great white green. <laughs> I think I learned that from the Noob Spiro podcast. Who was that? Oh, so informative. Uh, Chris Coates. Was that him? Yeah. That was um, great white green. I remember that one. Uh, but, yeah, it was a uh, bit, bit murky. But we survived. Yeah, you felt safe? 100%. I was in your hands. Right. We didn't shoot any fish, did we? On that first little snow, it was about no, an hour, just, just hour a and a half in the water. Yeah, yeah. But it was cool to get wet, get the gills wet, and have a bit of a look around. And and like missed opportunities are just as exciting sometimes as actually landing a fish because it's like, oh, this is what's around, you know, this is yeah. what's possible. So and it was like a tease, you know, for the whole trip. And um, yeah, so that was cool. It was a cool day zero, and um, yeah, the motor out was was cool as well. Yeah. And then we hopped on the boat and slept the night there and went up to the Kings and um, got to the spot where we were going to dive for Kingies and I have never been up there when it's been rough like that. And um, I was going to get in and I was okay with that. But what did you guys think about that? Yeah, it was turbulent. There was massive swell. There was stuff pumping around. It was uncomfortable. And then like, the way the, the swell moves through that area, was pretty. it's pretty spectacular. But like when you're in the water, it's kind of, it's a little bit overwhelming, particularly when you've got a brand new spear gun or someone else's spear gun that you haven't used. And you're trying to figure that out. You've got a slip tip and a breakaway and two floats and a, and a, and a crank uh, drag system that you've never sort of used before. You're trying to figure all this stuff out and then you've got fish all around you and it's crazy. The viz was good, but, you know, you're moving all about in the water and your snorkel's filling with water. It's a little bit overwhelming. And um, trying to concentrate and get enough, you know, relaxed enough to have a decent dive and spend some time there with the fish, I found that really tough. Um, and I didn't really make myself an opportunity on that first day. But I'm glad because... Um, I, I had a trigger safety on that I wasn't even aware of, so um, <laughs> so it all worked out well. Quiet. You kept that very quiet. So yeah, it was pretty wild up against the cliff line. You've got a two, three metre swell reflecting off off the cliffs, coming back at you and like peaking right up there. But the fish are right on the cliffs, so you have to be there. 
and then you got tight against wind and it starts to get a bit messy and yeah I threw Shrek a gun that he didn't know what he was doing with so I didn't know if it was Arthur or Martha I was uh, didn't know if it was coming or going like it was um yeah it was a, it was a real adjustment curve yeah and everyone said oh you've been throwing in on the deep end but um it was still cool it was still a cool experience yeah it's about 40 meters deep <laughs> and I was flat out diving about eight, eight meters, I think, and that, and I was just like, um, likewise, yeah, it was getting down there and starting to spend a little bit of time, but nothing, no, no real good opportunities come my way, that's for sure. But we uh, actually we got the tides mixed up to begin with. Uh, we arrived a bit later, which was better, but we weren't expecting fish to be there, but they were there anyway. So that's why we jumped in, but we were only in for half an hour. And then kind of bailed on that, a bit too hectic. Moved mm. out to some shallower ground, a bit more calm oh, in that bay. in the bay where we yeah. anchored. Yeah. yeah, and went for a bit of a swim, and that was really cool. I guess that should have been the first port of call, probably, to find our feet and sort our gear out. Because <laughs> I, I completely re-rigged a gun and, you know, <laughs> got it ready for the next session, which we did on that Arvo. Yeah, I think the second spot where we anchored up, I think I was the first in the water and paddled in and it was amazing really good viz not much current and just cool for a look around swam right up to the island and it was still 10 meters i think straight off the side of the island and um anyway found a cray and a few good fish and big schools of kings come oh well, not big schools but schools of sort of four to six fish come in and um but they're all smaller but it was cool just to be surrounded by them and that and i found a cray um and pulled him up, and then I didn't have a catch bag because I was just diving with a real gun, and um, hit it back to the boat through that overboard. And then Rosie jumped in and promptly upgraded me, <laughs> took a, <laughs> took a bigger cray, and then she was like, "Oh, and I'll just grab a second one as well, and um, just fully emasculate you." And uh, <laughs> so it was fantastic. And the photo's great. <laughs> exactly. The resulting photo is excellent. Exactly. <laughs> then it was great too. Yes, good, good, good feed on the first day. Uh, it's amazing that Nat can cook so, so much good fish, and he just effortlessly cooks great fish. Just oh, that is cool. I like it. He just cooks it, and it's delicious. It's perfectly cooked. Sounds like the beginnings of, of a man crush. Yeah, yeah back off. It's well placed. <laughs> he should put the recipe on my site. Eat what you kill. <laughs> Eat what you kill. Catch what you kill, all of it's the same really. Great site, Blair. Um, you've done a fantastic job with that site. You've really um, grown a, a fantastic community All on your there. own there. Well I'll link that up in today's um, show notes. So if people go to um, newspirit.com forward slash three kings, the number three kings debrief, um, they'll find a, 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 some links there to, to Blair's group. Um, catch what you kill. It's not actually my page. <laughs> Look, um, let's not let's not get facts in the way of a good story. Um, so fantastic page, Blair. Thanks for what you're doing there in the community. So Rosie, you kind of you've been there before to the Three Kings, and you kind of it felt like you found your feet just straight in and and kind of knew what you were doing. Like we we both struggled in the first on the first day. Were you kind of ready for a ready for a big fish to swim by or what was your thought process getting straight into the water um always a bit, little bit nervous i think it 
um, it does deserve respect and it was there was um, a bit of swell so definitely I was feeling a little bit nervous didn't know you two so I didn't know who I was getting in the water with um, but once you get in um, yeah I've been there before and um, sort of tried to just kick into knowing what to do I like jumping in the water with two people you haven't dived with before obviously I filled you with confidence fairly early though <laughs> uh, I saw you wear your nervous face and then transform every time someone was watching you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's okay. That's how it should be there. It's, it's big water and you have big fish and you had some big goals. I'd say every time we jumped into that spot, I felt nervous. Like, mm. not mild butterflies, like fully proper excited but nervous and your body's kind of warring with, with what way to swing it. And... Um, you know, like, obviously I love it, but um, there's still an, an element there of, like, oh, shit, what's going to happen, you know? Yeah, for And sure. uh, it was cool, though. It was really cool, so. But that first morning, Nat jumped in with us, too, so. Yeah. Yeah. And you promptly slayed a, a Trevally. You didn't even muck around. You were just like, bang, you <laughs> shot it. I was like, jeez, this girl is a killer. I was waiting for you guys to get some lunch. We were definitely holding the chain, dragging the chain. <laughs> Shrek was literally dragging the float line. <laughs> <laughs> it was. But Nat jumped in with us that morning. Yeah. And then and it's easy and, and you do feel safe when someone's in the in the water that with you that knows what they're up to and so it was good. Yeah. You definitely lean on that experience. He's got so much experience out there that it's you can't trust what he's saying and it's amazing but it's exactly as he said as it is. It's yeah. just the fish are there or, you know, avoid that squeeze or... That's right. And to, and then having Rochelle on the big boat as well so that you've got somebody that's watching over you that can see you from high up and um, keeping you safe. It, yeah, it gives you the chance to push your boundaries a little bit. Not that day, but the next day. Now, I didn't want to make this podcast gendered or whatever, but um, sometimes when you meet people that spare whether they're men or women you sort of think is this person like really into spearfishing within an hour of being in the water with you I was like this chick loves spearfishing like you're mad about it you don't care about social media or anything like you really love the pursuit of fish where did that come from where did, how did you get the bug um, yeah, we did a lot of swimming the last few days, didn't we? <laughs> it was like yeah, getting out till we were told. Like we swam more than a mile into current, and you were like beast mode, kept up with us, no problems at all. Like it was, it was friggin' impressive. I've got guys I dive with; they can't do that, you know. I think um, you. I mean, I guess I don't know where it comes from initially, but I would say from just loving being in the water and watching the fish. They're so interesting seeing how the different fish interact with each other. And then the more you dive, the more you realize that even if this patch here might look like there's not much on it, there'll be another fish around the corner. Or you can spend hours and hours swimming. And just when you think you're going to get out and give up, that's when you'll see some fish. Mm. And that always is what keeps me going. That whenever I think about turning around and going back to the boat, I think, no, but what if the big fishes are around the corner. So we swam more than a mile back in, like we swam a mile out snooping snapper and all the rest of the stuff we were doing, trying not to shoot um, kingies and big schools, <laughs> fish 
up maybe over 25 kilo. Um, but we, we managed to shoot a few snapper and then we headed back and it was straight into current. Mm. Like current you could barely swim against at first. And after doing this, for 45 minutes solid, swimming back into current, James and I promptly got back onto the boat. <laughs> and then you went swimming with dolphins, which were another three or 400 metres out the back of the boat. And I was like exhausted and here's you just <laughs> carrying on. I was like good and proper and an admiration. I was like, wow. <laughs> but I grew up in England, uh, just south of London, and so swimming with dolphins growing up was something you saw on TV. That was an, it was never a given, and it was never a thing I thought that I'd get to do. Yeah. So never an opportunity that I'll pass up. Yeah, your your enthusiasm was contagious. You were like a little, um, I don't know, like a little spark on the boat the entire time. You're great to have on a spearfishing trip. That's for sure. Um, what was the highlight of the trip for you? Was it shooting a, a huge kingfish? Oh, was that that middle night you didn't snore? <laughs> there was no such, such a great night. Sleep. No, no. You're right. You're Even right. last night. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! This this is degrading quickly. <laughs> so all this trip, um, we we come across a few awesome things. Um, James shot the the fish of the trip. Um, which was a 1.8 kilo golden snapper. Um, apart from that, he did fuck all, really. Um, but it was a bloody good trip, wasn't it, James? You shot a couple of good fish, though, really. I think I took some good opportunities. Uh, I didn't have the pressure of the first day or the last day. That was that was the big one. But we did shoot some good fish, I think, as a team. And, you know, you, it's easy to shoot good fish up there because there's six kilo trevs just swimming around you all day. 20 to 30 kilo kings, just hundreds of them swim past. And, uh, yeah, we we also got onto the golden snapper, which are just a bit under two kilos. So pretty happy with that. We dive pretty deep for them in Australia, as for the rest of New Zealand. But, yeah, we uh, we made the most of it and got some good fish, and you got to be pretty happy with that. How did um, three kings spearfishing stack up next to Melbourne spearfishing? I don't know, actually it's a bad question because every area has its day. Obviously the Three Kings is super remote and it's a crazy area to spearfish for anyone, even if you live in New Zealand. So it's not really a fair comparison, but like coming from your your area though, was it a real treat? Absolutely, like we don't really have uh, very fishy terrain. We have some areas that are mildly fishy, but nothing like what happens in the tropics where you dive onto coral coral bommies or anything and you've got you know hundreds of fish on that one bommie it's a bit different back in the temperate waters so this is kind of temperate water diving and it's still amazing so yeah it's it's fishy and the viz is great and it's great great diving I've never heard of a spearfishing business where you could say crikey mate to save some money but nevertheless Here's a first, as usual, on the No Spiro podcast. Head into Killshot Spear Guns. They're in Ismarada in the Florida Keys. You can save $30 on a Killshot Spear Gun or 10% off freediving classes through to April 1st. Check it out, Killshot Spear Guns. The No Spiro podcast. Great content, fantastic guests. And uh, to go with that, got some free online courses by Ted Hardy at Immersion Freediving. Head over to noobspero.com forward slash Ted and learn to take a bigger breath hold. Learn how to use your full chest 
to take down more fuel so that you can stay on the bottom for longer. Check it out, newspirit.com forward slash Ted. Is that more spearfishing shit? Yeah, it is, honey, but it's my favourite podcast. You just kind of stop yourself. You're obsessed. Well, that's true, but Shrek told me I'd, I'd lose my 90s dad look. Baby, it's all for you. Noobspero.com forward slash mad gear. Hats, beanies, tank tops, t-shirts and hoodies. For noobers mad about spearing, head over to noobspero.com forward slash mad gear. Yeah, so we're talking about um, the Mokinaus, just a island group off the off the coast, a bit closer in from from the Kings. Kings is what is it? I, th- I think they're about sixty k's offshore, and and the Mokes is about fifty two, but in a different direction and off a different part of the country. So it's it's about the same distance offshore, and and reasonably similar in terms of coming out of deep water, and they're they're pretty jagged, reasonably remote, but. They're less remote than the Three Kings because it's, it's quite a lot closer to Auckland. But in terms of the structure and things, it's reasonably similar. So we, on the trip, we, Rochelle and I, uh, shot two pink Mau Mau that had big black splashes across the back fins. Uh, that was really cool to see. I haven't seen that in New Zealand before. Uh, we got told that there were alpha males, uh, sort of one of the dominant pink Mau Mau in the, in the school. Have you seen that on the mainland or out at the Mokes? Yep, yeah, and diff- different places have different sort of ratios with them. Places like the Aldermans, you're about, I'd say probably one in 50 pink meow meow like that. But places, you know, say the Mokes, maybe one in 200. So it, I don't know what causes the different ratios, but there's definitely, you know, you see them every time you dive in, in big populations of pink meow meow. And they're quite cool because pink meow meow aren't particularly hard to get. But if you pick out a particular fish you're after in the school, then it actually makes it a bit harder. Yeah, we had like 12 out of every 100 in the school. They were just really cool. Looked like Japanese koi. Yeah, yeah. Now they're, they're pretty cool to see, and they're, they're a bit more purple than pink. You know, yeah. they've got the yellow, yellow markings on their faces and that kind of thing. They're pretty awesome fish. Blue neon and stuff down the splashes. It's really cool. Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> This is the Porori, eh? Porori? Pink Mau Mau. Nah, nah. No, I'm talking about like, sometimes you, when you're on the bottom, it's like, um, you can't tell the difference between snapper and... Oh, Porai. Porai, sorry. Yeah. So sorry, the- I'm really bad with my NZ fish ID, and I feel like a retard because this is my country. But I, I never really grew up spearfishing specifically here. It was more scuba diving with a bit of opportunistic pole spearing. Um, so sometimes my fish ID is... Should I exchange the word retard for something more PC? I've no, done so much. Opportunistic pole spearing needs to stay there. <laughs> 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 yeah, opportunistic pole spearing is what I'm about, you know. Um, but like, my, my fish ID here is terrible. Like, they, they asked me questions about bait and shit. Is this the same thing as you get? And I was like, I'm so fucking ignorant about like a lot of a lot of species. And bait seems to be something you need to focus on wherever you go. But poor eye and snapper, um, sometimes when the vis is quite good, you see that when a fish is relaxing current, you can see the white and, the, and they, they, their fins come out and they, they've got the same posture, poor eye and snapper. Um, it might be a really simple question, but how do you differentiate the two easily? Well, poor eye have a massive uh, fin ray on their pectoral fin. 
and it looks like they're pulling the fingers at you and they're just going up yours I'm not a snapper that's <laughs> <laughs> that's a great answer that is a great answer but do you know what I mean though oh yeah so, so many people mm. shoot them and go I shot a snapper and then they pull it up and they go ooh I didn't shoot a snapper <laughs> no I never yeah. I never shot them but there were some times and I was like is that a snapper and then I was like oh no it's a poor eye but I had to get really quite close like beyond normal shooting range well, that, before that's I the thing mate. snapper wouldn't let you get close so, so they're poor eye reasonably dumb yeah um, you get them yeah. in Aussie as well they're, they're some kind of mawong blue mawong blue mawong yeah, yeah. So when they get really big, it's quite cool. They, they get a little bit colourful. When mm. they get really big, under their pectoral fin, they get this kind of, it looks like a tumour, but it's kind of like a gold colour with these yellow scribbles on it. Mm. Awesome looking thing. What do they eat like? Well, they go into the rocks. Like and they're <laughs> <laughs> you're so dry. <laughs> Holy shit, you're dry. Uh, <laughs> but what do they taste like to eat? Oh, the, the small ones are all right. The big ones get a wee bit of a metallic flavour to them. Okay. Um, so, tinfoil, put it in your mouth. Similar. Tinfoil. So, do you just grab the tinfoil <laughs> from, from something else? No, you, you get the battery out of like a, like a smoke alarm. Just put it on your tongue. Pretty similar. Okay. But, but like Cigatera. <laughs> oh, that's unpleasant. Um, he does know a bit about that. He's had the he's had it bad, the poor bugger. Six or nine months to get over a day. Look at that. And that that I don't think that was a full on serious dose. Like some people get knocked over a bit. With all your travels, Blair, have you have you had sick? No, nah, the places that we know that Siggy's prevalent, you just have hamburgers. Just give your fish away, you know. It's, it's not as a holiday maker, it's just not worth risking. The yeah. locals will know whether it's edible or not, and if it's not, they'll use it for bait. I don't know. It'd be good if you had the same sort of attitude towards STDs, I think. <laughs> the locals will use it for bait. Yeah, mate, ever since you stayed the other night, fucking hell. <laughs> oh, I have never seen, like, I've never been propositioned for a spoon before and have it become that aggressive. You know what I mean? <laughs> you work in a prison. <laughs> Touche, touche, holy shit. <laughs> Good banter, that was quality. Now, nah, I, um, you know, like you're very good with like fish, like Latin names, you, you pay attention to the species, I've talked about it before, geeking out on fish, you're, you're a clear fish nerd. With bait, um... How do people learn it and how do they pay attention to the bait in an area? How do they learn about it in advance? Because it seems to be such a crucial factor in um, how you approach a spot and what you do and stuff. In an area you don't know, you just got to learn to know it. You just, just. That's a great answer, man. <laughs> Honestly, mate, like, you, you can't go to a place and go, the bait's going to be there. You can go, the bait's probably going to be there based on the currents and the structure and all that sort of stuff but you, mm. you don't know for sure until you're actually in there and actually learning about it but what about IDing the bait and then understanding what fish species are likely to predate upon it and how they're going to interact well that's the old thing like big fish eat little fish mm. and 
tiny, tiny, tiny little bait is likely to only be attractive to chlorophyll. Chlorophyll. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's just your what? wife. <laughs> so <laughs> she got pregnant. <laughs> Sorry, your girlfriends. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> both of them. <laughs> no, they're both staying in. No, I mean, like, we, we don't have a huge amount of biodiversity in New Zealand, so our bait consists of... Plankton. Yeah, well, it depends, depends what you call bait, you know? Like, bait fish consists of very few species. There's, there's probably 10 different species it could be, and they're all really eaten by the same stuff. It's just the size of that bait dictates what the size of the fish is that's eating mm. it. Okay. So what are the main species of bait? Cockchairs. <laughs> <laughs> just go down to the super, I mean, the uh, service station, mate, look in the freezer. No, we've got, we've got um, Kohuru, Piper, Jack Mackerel. Um, they're the main ones. Red bait when you get offshore, souri, stuff like that. So the, the souri and red bait, basically because of where they're living, they're being eaten more by the, the proper pelagics like the marlin and the tuna and things like that. But the inshore species like the jack mackerel and um, and kohuru, they're more of a kingfish thing. But then you also have a crossover when you get the big schools of offshore um, aggregations of jack macks and kohuru. So it's it really depends where they are more more than what they are. Okay. It's cool when you see the coeys all lit up because there's a predator around and it might be a kingfish or it might just be your buddy diving. But it's always exciting to see when, they, when they're all lit up and a little bit worried. Was that when they were like blue and yellow across yeah. their schools? Yeah. When they've got the yellow flash on their back. Mm. Yeah. It's a kohuru, a pretty sort of ordinary looking fish. Normally they're sort of green backs with silver bellies. But when they get a bit stressed out, sort of their back... Oh, so their, their top half, but their, their rear two-thirds just lights up bright yellow, and they'll just freak out. And, and James and Ozu, do we call them yakka? Uh, yellowtail scat or yakkas or similar style of fish, I do believe. <laughs> How big do they get in Ozu? This is testing my memory, but I think that the, the record is somewhere in around the 700 grams. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, that's quite small. The... The spearing record for them here is, I think, 1.7. Wow. To get a one kilo isn't unusual. Anything over one kilo is getting pretty big. Okay, then I'm going to adjust that up to 1.5 kilos. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think blue mackerel, like the slimy mackerel, um, they get into the ones. But I might have been confusing jack mackerel. And there's like two different subspecies, mm. the jack mackerel and the... Oh, I actually think there's even more. There's Jack, a lot. They've yeah, found all through the Pacific yeah. and, um, and other places. <clears throat> like up in Hawaii, they get something that looks exactly like our Kauru, and they, you know, they've obviously got a Hawaiian name for it. It's not the same, but it looks very similar. Yeah. Those subspecies of bait fish, right? Mm, yeah. So, Blair, like, you geek out on bait, right? You look at it, you observe it, you see what's happening with it. But obviously, you've gone into a book or some sort of resource after it, and you've looked at it, and you've, and you've tried to understand it at a deeper level. What are your resources and what's your process around learning about stuff? I've always had a massive interest in just, just fish in general. Um, to the point, one of my old man's favorite stories about me is we went down to a wharf, you know, I would have been about five or six, and uh, there was a guy fishing there, I said, how are you getting on? And he, he thought he was funny, and he said, yeah, got a couple of harpooka. 
And as a five or six year old, I told him off because I told him, you don't catch harpocka off wharfs, mate. You know, they don't live in shallow and especially not in harbours, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know, mate. I've always had a bit of an interest in it. And, um, you know, I took that further and went to, went to uni and, um, and studied it. And I still study it, you know, and it's, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an amateur scientist and continue to do it. So wherever there's information, I'll be looking for it. Not necessarily books, not necessarily websites, but maybe a combination of both or talking to other people. Mm. I wonder if you must have a mind that um, that just picks up on random things or can hold that information really well because it's so often that you show people a photo of um, a regular day's diving but you've come back with this one weird fish that probably everyone else has swum by and not seen and picked up as a weird fish. Maybe. Like, may- maybe people would see it but like you say, they don't pick it up as a weird fish. Like I... I'll probably have a sort of, oh, what, what would you say, like a, my knowledge of fish is probably different to a lot of people's just because I'm interested in it. And, you know, some people are interested in rugby players or whatever, you know, and that they'll be able to tell you the weights and the, the star sign or the boot size or whatever of a rugby player. But <laughs> I could tell you whatever you want about most fish. And so if I see a fish I don't know, or if I know that's out of place, I'll, I'll, I'll recognise that straight away where most people would only recognise sort of 10 or 12 different species and anything apart from that is just one of their miscellaneous fish that they've seen during the day. Yeah, so we know Shrek is really interested in rugby players. What's your favourite star sign? I like rugby. Union, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Chair, bro. I I do. I do have famous family in the rugby game. I'm quite proud of them. Tell us about uh, it. Nah, it's neither here nor there. <laughs> Paul Tino should be part of my family. <laughs> famous Taranaki rugby player. No, I've got a famous rookie playing for the Can- Canterbury side. Um, pretty proud of him, but uh, that's neither here nor there. And your brother's up and coming, right? No, my brothers are old like me. They're has been and done. They're nearly as old as Blair. Mm, that's hard to believe. But forty-eight. That's 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 <laughs> getting on. Poor old Blair, eh? <laughs> How long have you been spearfishing? Eight years, probably. Like I mucked around with the pole spear when I was scuba diving, and, and, and I did a little bit of freediving and stuff, but that was when I was 18, 19. Is there a point where you think you'll no longer be a noob spiro? No. No, I think I'll always be a noob spiro. I think, for me, like being a noob spiro is not having any ego, and it's enjoying it, and it's always learning. And every single spiro I meet, I want to try and learn something from them. Um, and I think if you're not learning, you probably think you're too good or you you know too much already. And I, I don't want to ever be like that. Like, um, I think every single person I come across has got something I've got to learn and something I can adapt and, and add to my own diving. So I'd love to keep that diving, even if it means that I never get any good. <laughs> <laughs> so if you take those eight years and uh, take away all the days that you don't dive, is that about 17 days? <laughs> yeah, about... About 17 days diving um, in total, and the rest of the time I just talk about it. Uh, probably spent a, an excess of one year talking about it and, and less than one month actually doing it. But yeah. <laughs> Some days it seems like that, honestly. Um, I think last year James and I were comparing um, dive days. He said he did more than 100, and I think I did 15 for the year. So it does make a difference when you're in the water. A time in the water, there's no substitute for it. Like, um, 
you can learn all you want from a podcast or a book or you can have the best mentors or whatever but if you're not in the water actively doing it even if you're training in a pool like freediving and stuff or underwater hockey or whatever like they're all good things but they don't substitute for actually going spearfishing a wise man once said to me if your job is getting in the way of spearfishing get a new job <laughs> so i have done that i've got a job that i like and i can um i can have some days off these days and i yeah. am getting out but weekends are a little few and far between and my dive crew are all weekend divers so it's it's a, sometimes it's tough i got a new job too and uh yeah multiple week holidays i think you and blair have got similar jobs i mean obviously he makes a lot of money out of um catch what you kill um (laughs) and you make your money for illicit drugs um but you know like i'm trying to go the the legit path um it's it's a little tougher but yeah it's hard work selling your ass on the streets i know (laughs) uh no wonder i'm only getting 50 cents an hour (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's bonus rates <laughs> Over time I think spearfishing is not easy And so anybody that's out there trying to do it Deserves credit mm. And um, for whatever reason They're out there um, They're trying to So so let's give everybody a chance mm-hmm. Social media is a weird thing Like It does twist perceptions and stuff um, we, I just spent four days with you Out spearfishing and you you definitely showed me up um you're an amazing spear and you love the sport how did that what what how, connect the dots for me how did that all start um i grew up swimming mum's a swimming teacher so i always grew up in the water and i started free diving when i um changed to a self-employed role and I knew that I needed something that was going to be really good for my mental health and for relaxation and calming mm. and so another swimmer put me on to uh, freediving and I joined the Auckland Freediving Club and I learned about um, um, freediving and um, safetying each other well and that feeling of calming your nerves and trusting your body and knowing that you've got a little bit more left and you can hold your breath a little bit longer and it's going to be okay and that really listening to the cues your body's giving you back that I love from freediving but I didn't want to compete and um, wasn't interested in yeah in, tra- in training for any sort of formal competition mm. so somebody gave me a gun I picked it up and went spearfishing and that was that because adding that real calming relax relaxing um, environment plus fish that you can look at and dinner that you can bring home mm. um, that is when it all fell into place for me mm. all of that like when you when I dive with you all of that comes into play I'm just looking it on and I'm just like this is a person that gets it like you're not out for any social media likes or comments or anything like that you really legitimately love just sparing for the pure pursuit of the of the of the sports it's, abs- it's an absolute pleasurable uh, experience diving with you um, what were some of the biggest obstacles you had when you started probably my own fear of um, of asking people if I could go diving with them of um, putting myself in situations where I didn't know if I would feel safe but I feel um, I'm confident in the water and I think that definitely helps but um, you probably held myself back for a while and then met a good bunch of people that I trusted and um, yeah, and onwards and upwards from there. And then just pushed the pedal to the metal and uh, went hard. <laughs> so where to next? So you've got records for steephead parrotfish and dog tooth tuna. 
Um, do you think those two records can be upgraded? Are you in the pursuit for more? Oh, I mean, the, the they can absolutely be upgraded, and that's the point of records is for somebody to go out and smash them. The um, <laughs> I think, um, yeah, I think that would be great. I, um, they're not something to hold on to. They're something to be proud of while they're there. Cool, cool. Well, it's been a pleasure diving with you, and uh, the trip was, was absolutely awesome as well. Um, parting advice for people starting spearfishing, maybe particularly women? Just How can they be as graceful as you in confronting <laughs> chauvinistic attitudes? Just surround yourself with good people, take every opportunity for time in the water, and don't worry about what anybody else is achieving, just go there with your own goals, and if you get your own PB, or you do something you haven't done before, then be wrapped on that, and don't benchmark other people women men anybody just just go out and do what you want to do if what you want to do is get a feed for your friends for that night just go and do that and be stoked with what you've achieved i knew you'd be a good interview thanks rosie that was awesome mm. you're the you're the host of this thing. oh sorry um yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is though i mean how about those schools when you um when particularly yesterday when there's birds working at the surface and then there's pink mammal, blue mammal, trevally, there's kingfish, just walls of fish. And you can swim down and be so focused on kingfish that you forget when you swim back up. The treat of swimming through all those different sections of fish just doing their thing. Yeah, yeah. Those birds are crazy. Um, how, how deep do you think they dive? Have you seen them? I'd say they dive a good seven or eight metres hmm. easily and then shoot back up again. Which was like twice as deep as James. Yeah, on a good day. Yeah. <laughs> on the first day. <laughs> I barely cracked the fire. No, we, we didn't really see the birds working until the last day, though. Yeah. And then they were just absolutely batshit, and we were trying to follow them. But the kingfish weren't really following the rules of the trevally and the Mau Mau. They were doing something different. They, it, it felt like they were cutting laps around the islands, and mm. then every sort of 12 or 15 minutes we'd see the school. But the school didn't seem to hold those big fish that we maybe encountered on the first and second day either. Did you agree? Yeah, and on the last day we dived um, a little further out from the usual spot, which was cool to see somewhere new and hectic with uh, trevally coming through, just schools of trevally coming through really quickly. So you had to watch for the birds diving, and as soon as the birds started diving, then you dive, and then you know the trevally are going to come through after mm. that. But... Um, we didn't see the, the big fat kingfish out there then, but mm. um, certainly schools of smaller kingfish working. The other thing I really enjoyed, like I mentioned briefly before, was the, some of the seafood we ate. Like it was non-stop from one end to the other. I really enjoyed your raw fish. Um, walk us through your raw fish. What type of fish do you need to use, like in terms of um, flesh consistency, coloration or whatever? Um, do you think it's a temperate water um, raw fish dish that you make or is it more broader? Um, I think the, those trevally up there are um, they're big and they're fatty and they lend themselves really well to raw fish so um, step one shoot one step two cool it down for a little bit step three get James to dice it into even cubes perfectly done he did well there did a great job mm. doing what I'm told that's right well done <laughs> And then we marinated it in lemon juice and fresh lemon juice for from lunchtime to dinner yeah. and um, drained it off and then some 
coconut milk and some boat surprise. See what's on there? There was soy sauce. We found... Boat surprise, uh, yeah. I like that. <laughs> there was um, some onions and peppers and tomato, cucumber, and <clears throat> some spice. <laughs> and you were missing coriander, though, weren't you? you said. Oh, missing coriander. But I loved it. It was friggin' excellent. Thank you. Um, the other thing I found, like, like, oh, actually, just just quickly, Blair, um, as the <laughs> as the group admin for Catch What You Kill, is that a is that a dish that you approve of? I don't know. Get her to write it up, and uh, it'll get submitted to admin for approval. Would you like to lend it a cultural name? Uh, yep, yeah, I'll think of one. Rosie's <laughs> <laughs> known by lots of names. RRF. RRF. Rosie's raw fish. As long as the photos are of, of the right standard, yeah. me and my fellow admin will accept it. <laughs> I don't know if we took a photo. We just I can't believe that page you've, you've created there. A lot of value for the community. Um, right. Awesome. You're, gonna, you're just working yourself into a lot of like, editing issues. <laughs> 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 but the other <laughs> thing you mentioned there was um, a boat surprise. Now... I'd never come across that term before <laughs> until um, you went to the toilet one morning and the flush and you went system. The flush system on the boat involves pretty much a 20 litre of water, like seawater, down the toilet and it flushes it down. But I noticed Rosie going with several buckets in a row and I don't think it quite did the job, if you know what I'm saying, because she looked quite anxious. Is that, is that what you experienced, Rosie? Oh, I felt like you paid far too much attention to my morning. <laughs> I didn't notice it at all. I'm out of bag on her head. I'm out of bag making this up. Isaac, I liked it. <laughs> when she said boat surprise, that's what I thought of. I was like, what's the most unpleasant surprise you could have on there, mate? Then, then we had Isaac who shat all over the deck and washed it down with the deck hose. Is that what he calls it? <laughs> I didn't actually shit on the deck, I shit in my wetsuit and taking it off, smeared the shit all over the deck. There was another boat surprise story. <laughs> oh, here we go. I, I don't think I'm, uh, I'm the one to tell it, I wasn't there to experience it. But maybe we should tell it because um, Shrek, uh, when we were steaming back home to, to port, uh, Nat needed to have a nap after after about midnight and so so he put Shrek in the on the wheelhouse in front of the wheel and um, woke up after a couple of hours to Shrek beating off (laughs) 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 he's No denial coming back from this guy. Uh, He says, what uh, what are you doing? And Shrek says, what does it look like? (laughs) Uh, James, that was the best repurposing of a story I've ever heard. (laughs) Seriously, Matt told us this exact story about one of his crewmen... (laughs) And he pretty much just swapped me into that story. <laughs> that was class. Now that is a that is a proper trip debrief. Um, 
<laughs> so I'm your host and whacker offer. <laughs> Was there any last questions, Rosie? Hmm. What were you thinking of? Just <laughs> oh. those podcasts. Just those pink meow meow and that Facebook group. Catch what you kill. Does it for me. I think one thing that hasn't been said is how shallow the pink meow meow are. Like, is that a thing? Like it's like surface pink meow meow. It, it is at the right places, so you can see them right up on the surface. I went diving last week and they were right up on the surface and it wasn't at the Three Kings. Um, but as a general rule, they're pretty deep. Yeah. Um, but in the right right conditions, you know, the tide pushing the right way, pushing the food to the surface, they'll, they'll be up on the surface. And it's a golden snapper too. I mean, I, I don't know if you guys saw them shallow there, but usually around mainland New Zealand to see one under, well, shallower than 20 metres is more or less unheard of. But at the Three Kings, you can see them in five or six metres, easy. Which we did, which was fantastic. It's but you're just, on with 20 metres when you shot something. At least. And four kilos. But it shrunk when it came back up. Like, it's funny how that happens. That's the pressure. Wait it, wait it, wait it half an hour later and it just dropped two kilos. <laughs> did you bleed it? No, I didn't. It still dropped two kilos. <laughs> <laughs> what happens to that? Why? 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 It's amazing how that stuff happens. Nah, fantastic trip all around. Um, absolutely enjoyed it. Really, really good to meet you, Rosie, and uh, hopefully sometime in the future we can do a full-length interview and talk about your spearfishing adventures from, from then until now. But um, absolute pleasure diving with you and, and James and Nat and Rochelle. We, we had a ball. I, um, you know, thanks to the Noob Sparrow Patreons, it sort of allowed for this trip to happen. So I, I couldn't be more grateful, really. Like, bloody special being able to do these things. So, um... Yeah, I feel I feel really really grateful. So. Yeah, it's, it was a it was a great trip. Thank you so much. It was um, it is a privilege to go up there, and it's awesome to go with people who haven't been before and to um, who who love it. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah, yeah. Everyone was stoked and frothing on sparing, so it was a real cool trip. There were no, um, you know, sometimes you go out on a trip and there's always that one person that's just not not into it for whatever reason. There was no one on that trip. Everyone was like. 100% enthusiastic and um, everyone put in as a team, everyone had roles, no one minded not being the, the main part of the show, if you, if you know what I mean, and Jeepers, it was, couldn't have asked for a bit of trip, so yeah. James, any parting comments, buddy? No. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but look out for some trip vids on the um, uh, Southern Spearfishing YouTube channel. And uh, James is going to whip up some sort of video making me look like an absolute legend, which will be quite hard to do with me missing fish at 1.5 metres and um, things like that. But uh, we had a, had a bloody good time. We've just got to try and get these fish back over the ditch now and, um, and we've been roped into bringing back a few more for some other people. So um, let's see how we go with that. Thanks for listening. Shrek out. Post Rosie out. You're the consummate professional, aren't you? <laughs>
<laughs> quite substantially. So a big thanks to Pat Dwyer and the Impact Podcasting team who produced the show. Uh, bloody awesome job. And uh, there was a bit of cutting and mashing to do, I think, today because uh, the, the bears were flowing quite freely. So, um, yeah, it was a lively chat, that's for sure. And it was a really cool way to actually finish that New Zealand trip. Just wanted to say a huge thank you to all the patron listeners that support the show. They're paying for these trips. And this time of the... Um, and this time, you know, with the pandemic going around and stuff, um, you know, supporting a podcast shows is probably not high on the priority list. But I just wanted to thank them today. But if, if you're also interested in, in becoming a patron listener, head over to patreon.com forward slash and become a patron. Upgrading to composite or carbon fiber spearfishing fins is a huge step in your spearfishing journey. And you want to make a smart investment. So I'm going to suggest investing your moolah and penetrator fins. These fins have got a long-lasting performance. They've got a warranty that outperforms anything else in the industry. Check them out at penetratorfins.com. Their before and after sales service is absolutely phenomenal. These fins are being worn by champions all over the world. Check them out at penetratorfins.com for a limited time only. Use the code NoobSparrow to save $25 on any purchase of composite or carbon fiber fins. Check them out, penetratorfins.com. Spearing Magazine, possibly the world's best spearfishing publication. It's a spearing mag for spearos by spearos. Part of the reason I like Spearing Magazine so much is because there's crazy stories from spearos just like you from all around the world. And it's what makes Spearing Magazine such a special publication. If you go to spearingmagazine.com, check out the article submissions page there's a full guide to how to submit an article but i would encourage you to do so because i want to read about your adventures and inspire everyone else to take on their next spearfishing adventure that's at spearingmagazine.com look in a little over a week the normal podcast schedule will resume with a special edition episode with ed martin from Killshot spear guns and esmeralda in the florida keys this man can talk spear guns it's a it's a huge interview about building your own wooden spear gun, which might be the perfect project for you with this lockdown stuff happening around the place at the moment. So look, hey, tune in, look after the people around you, don't let this COVID-19 stuff get you down, I'm out. Is it time for an upgrade? I'm nodding. You can't see it, but I'm nodding, because I'm thinking to myself, it's always time for an upgrade. Head over to spearfishing.com.au. One way I like to upgrade is by shopping bargains end of line stuff sometimes there's always magic little finds to be had adreno used to have a an email newsletter called tight ass tuesday unfortunately it no longer exists although there is a clearance tab at spearfishing.com.au where a lot of the end of line stuff comes up the bargains it's the bargain bin that's me i'm i'm not proud of myself but that's how I shop sometimes. And look, you can save another $20 on everything over 200 when you use the code NoobSpiro. Head over to spearfishing.com.au. You'll thank me later.